get it, but in my terminology, I like the word healed. Because it implies it was something greater than me that accomplished this. Look at this. These are all people that have been healed. Well, this morning, we have someone in our midst who the doctors say has cancer. And it's our very own beloved Sandra Swanson. And I want these people to lay hands on her. And let's watch God move as he does. I'm going to also ask, because Sandra is a teacher here at the school. She's been here forever. 34 years. 34 years. That's amazing. And, And she's adored by everyone. She's a phenomenal teacher, and she has children that love her dearly. So having said that, I'm going to invite, if you guys want to, you guys come up here too, you young people. Royce, where's Royce at? I saw Royce. Come on, Royce. Come on up here. Royce is one of Sandra's students. Jump in there, Lucy, you guys. Just lay hands on her. You can jump in there. Go ahead. Oh, Father. Just gather around here, guys. Extend your hand, everybody. Please stand. Extend your hands. I am sick of the enemy winning. It's our turn. So, Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we lift Sandra up to you. And, Father, we ask right now that you would align every cell in her body with your kingdom. Father, we're asking, as you told us to pray, as it is in heaven, let it be here on earth, in her and through her, God. Father, I believe with all my heart your divine will is healing. Thank you, God. So, Father, we speak that healing into every muscle, every piece of sinew, every cell, every, every, God, you know how she's made, because you created her, every part of her being, God, from the top of her head to the bottom of her toes. I pray your presence would invade her presence, God. And, Father, we would begin to hear good reports. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we know that you come in the night. And you love to minister to the depths of our being. And Father, I believe that when we sleep, our spirit does not. And I believe it's at that point, God, that our spirit can interact with your spirit in a powerful way. So Father, I pray that as Sandra sleeps, you would minister to her spirit. And her spirit would move with your spirit. And Father, you'd begin to reveal to her such incredible things and plans and purposes that you have for her life. Wow. We just thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Father, just pour out your amazing grace. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Mm. That's right. That's right. Good word. Good word. Yeah, yeah. Guys, just begin to shout it out over her. The promises of God. Mm. Yes, oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, God. Mm. Nothing is impossible. Yeah. Yeah. I have plans to prosper you. It's a good word. Good word. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Good word. Good word. Oh. Mm. Yes. 
Yes, yes. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Father, your word says that it was by your stripes that we were healed. So we cancel the plans of the enemy now in the name of Jesus. And we say no. Wow. Yeah. Thank you, God. So together we all said, Amen. Amen. That was awesome. That's what family does. Yeah, you're welcome. We carry one another's burdens. We pray and we intercede for each other. That's why the one another's are in there over and over and over again. We need each other, right? I believe that with all my heart. You know, something, we've had a lot of revelatory teaching here lately. How many of you, your head's still kind of spinning? Yeah. Yeah. I just want to, my heart as a pastor and a shepherd is to make sure that things have handles on them so we're not just spinning out there in circles. And with revelatory teaching, God taught me something a long time ago. I love revelatory teaching. Understand it, please, I do. It opens me up to whole new perspectives and stuff on the things of God. But years ago, I remember going to a conference, and this happened to me twice. We're at a big conference. I think uh, Heidi Baker was there, and, and uh, they're just going down the line, just, man, laying hands on people, and people are, like, dropping like rocks, and boom, boom, boom. And it comes to me, and nothing. <laughs> and I thought, well, what did I do wrong? You know, these, my enemy starts speaking. Man, maybe you're not, you know, you just didn't have what it took to, whatever. And I'm just going, no, this can't be. And I asked God, I remember speaking, Father, I've been to several conferences like this and nothing happens to me. And God spoke to my heart. He says, it's because you don't need it, son. They needed it. I've had it. I've had it in my life. God has given me so much in my life. When it comes to revelatory teaching, years ago taught me, God taught me this other simple little truth. And he said, you know, you keep crying out for more, but what are you doing with what I have already given you? So remember that. Don't, don't get lost in all the spinning stuff. Don't get lost in all the bells and whistles. Keep the main and the plane right in front of you all the time. There is a ministry that God has called you to. Keep your hands to that plow and don't let go and just keep plowing straight and true. I love re- revelatory teaching because it expands our minds and our concepts. But at the same time, if we let go of the plow and start spinning out there, we'll be way out in the middle of somewhere wondering how we got there. Okay. That's from a pastor's heart, all right? So, having said that, turn with me to Corinthians chapter 8. First, or 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I want to share something that I think is something that I need to share at this moment in time. We as a people here on this planet this moment in time in our country and everything that's spinning and going on that's so crazy, I want to bring out a principle from God's word. It's a powerful truth that will help us navigate the waters that we're facing. How many of you are feeling the crunch, the economic crunch? A lot of people are. A lot of people are talking about gas prices, and I can't, you know, and and all these predictions and these maybe conspiracies. I don't know, but it's spinning fast, and it's getting big. And I want to help you guys with a simple principle from God's truth 
that will help you, I believe, navigate these waters. So I'm starting in verse 1. I'm reading out of the Passion this morning translation just for part of this because I love the way it reads. If you have a hard time with it following the NIV, that's okay, all right? But it says, Beloved ones, we must tell you about the grace God poured out upon the churches of Macedonia. We must tell you about the grace God poured out upon the churches of Macedonia. For even during a season of severe, tremendous suffering and extreme poverty, their super abundant joy overflowed into an act of extravagant generosity. At a moment when you would think it's getting tight, Let's reel it in. Let's count our pennies. They didn't do that. For I can verify that they spontaneously gave not only according to their means, but far beyond what they could afford. They actually begged us for the privilege of sharing in this ministry of giving to God's holy people who were living in poverty. They exceeded our expectations by first dedicating themselves fully to the Lord then to us, according to God's pleasure, stop. It doesn't say that in the book. I said that. Stop. Before you start thinking, oh boy, pastor's preaching about tithing again. The tithing buckets must be pretty empty. This is not the case. You guys have been so generous. This church has had the ability to, to help pay and finance for stuff for people. It's been amazing. It's not what I'm talking about this morning. There's a principle here I do not want you to miss. Because if you do, you will be on that end where you're going, why is this happening to me? Okay? I don't want you to be there. So what's happening here is under persecution, these desperately poor churches of Macedonia. Macedonia was, is like a huge region. Let's just say like Oregon. I don't think it was quite that big. But it's a huge region. And within that region, there was Philippi, Thessalonica, and Bria. These were all churches that were established within Macedonia. And Paul is telling us that they gave more than just an extravagant offering. He says, they fully surrendered themselves to the Lord and gave out of a longing to fulfill God's pleasure. How were they able to do that? Throughout 2 Corinthians, I wrote in my notes here, giving is described as a grace that God places on our lives, which empowers us to give generously. He started his letter with, let me tell you about the grace God poured out. Okay? Let's go on. Verse 6. This is why we appealed to Titus, since he was the one who got you started and encouraged you to give, so he could help you complete this generous undertaking on our behalf. You do well. Pay attention to verse 7. You do well and excel in every respect in unstoppable faith, in powerful preaching, in revelation knowledge, in your passionate devotion, and in sharing the love we have shown to you. Then he says, so make sure, it's important, so make sure that you also excel in grace-filled generosity. Stop. Notice something here in verse 7. Notice the features of godliness that, that, that must be seen and must be evidenced in our lives and in our ministry as believers, okay? And that is we excel in everything. 
as I'm going down this list, do a self-check in your heart. We have unstoppable faith. We have an anointing of grace to speak the word. We have revelation knowledge. We have passionate devotion. We show love and we are generous. These are the marks of these people. It's getting quiet in here. Verse 8. I'm not saying this as though I were issuing an order, but to stir you to greater love by mentioning the enthusiasm of the Macedonians as a challenge to you. Paul is challenging them to look at something here. God has poured out grace on them, which has empowered them to be generous in what they're doing. And in that, there are qualities in their life that begin to come together. They excel in everything. They have unstoppable faith. They have an anointing of grace to speak the word. And the list went on. For you have experienced the extravagant, let me get a drink here, grace of the Lord Jesus. That although he was infinitely rich, he impoverished himself for our sake so that by his poverty, we might become rich beyond measure. So during Paul's apostolic ministry, what he's doing here is for something like five years, he's spending a great amount of time and energy. He's collecting resources for Romans 15, 26 tells us the poor among the holy believers in Jerusalem. They were really struggling. So Paul is gathering provisions and resources from lots of people to take and to give and to, and to bless these people with. And in, in later in Paul's letter, he made one more appeal, like he's doing right now, to the church at Corinth. And he attempted to stir them to greater love by issuing this challenge of generous giving. He compared generosity to, in verse 8, or chapter 8, verse 9, to the extravagant grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So generosity should always flow from our heart, not from a sense of religious duty. And it should be marked by enthusiasm and joy because God loves a cheerful giver, right? Paul is saying, I think in essence here, that grace should be our motivation for giving. How many here are recipients of God's amazing grace? Yeah, yeah. That should be our motivation for being generous to others around us. Now hear me when I say generous. I'm not just talking about your finances. I'm talking about your time and other resources that you have. One of the new currencies today is time. It seems like it's a lot easier for people to write a check than to give their time. You talk to people, you ask people, hey, could you come? I'm busy, I gotta go clean an oven, you know, whatever, I got stuff going on. They don't have time. If time is a new currency, have you ever thought about tithing some of your time, so to speak? Giving some of your time to the work of the Lord? It doesn't mean just here at this church. It could be serving your neighbor. It could be working in some other place, helping and loving on people in some incredible way. At the park, feeding people. Love in action. That's a great John and Val Carter. That's a powerful ministry. Can you give some time to that? Because I'm telling you, if you do, there is a grace that God will pour out on you that everything else seems to click together. Amen. 
I also wrote, giving is a response to the amazing grace of God. So the, at the heart of Paul's appeal here is these words, and this is back now I'm in the NIV, and we'll stay in the NIV the rest of this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes, literally because of you, he became poor, and through his poverty might become rich. Through, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. His words you know really emphasize that they, Paul's audience, have personally experienced God's grace. Again, how many of us have experienced God's grace? Amen. How many really have experienced God's amazing grace? Yeah. And that's the, what they're responding out of. Not just, I'm saved. I'm saved. Yeah. You guys remember Jay Nurmi, the pogo stick yeah. guy? He, he did that because he was so thankful for what God had delivered him from. He had been a meth addict most of his life. He got so far into it, he was hanging lawnmowers in trees. And one day his dad said, you know, Jay, we need to stop this. And he had an encounter with God, and, and, and everything changed in his life. And he was so great. And he still is today. Whenever you talk to Jay Nurmi, he's like, praise God, Jesus. You ever met those people? They're so grateful and so thankful for what God has done for them. Man. And they're usually the first person to step up and say, I'll help. I'll help. Grace is favor. Most of us know that. And, and it's, it's not a merited favor. It, it, it's just favor. It's God's empowering presence in our lives. It's nothing we did to deserve it, or there's nothing we could do to earn it. But what, it's, uh, especially here in this scripture, 8, 9, what Paul's talking about here. It's the favor God shows us through his son's incarnation. Jesus gave, he left his kingdom. He left the throne room and he became a man. He put his deity, all of his godly attributes, he set them over here for a moment. And he became this man and he walked among us and he suffered incredible humiliation. He suffered and he endured torture. He hung on the cross for us. Why? Oh, not only to save us, so that we could be with God, but also he made available to us as lost sinners all of the provisions and resources from the kingdom of God. There is so much available to us, and I'm not talking about get rich and drive a Mercedes. This is not that talk at all. It's about having what we need to serve others. If it is our time, the time will be there. If it is finances, the finances will be there. If it's other things that we have, my shovel, my chain, whatever, it's there, and God seems to cover that. And some of you are so generous in that department. You're willing to give and to serve and help in so many different ways. And I thank you for that because I think you understand my point here. So Paul isn't just reviewing doctrine here. He's reminding them of their own testimony. He is. That's what he's doing. And, and, and so the natural response to being treated with such generosity is to want to do something in return for what was done for you. There's this thing, and you're going, man, I want to pay this back. I want to do something for these people, whatever. So the Macedonians, they evidence their response to the grace of God by saying, hey, please take this money from us. We want to give it to help those that are poor. We want to give it to those who truly need it. That's what it brought forth in them. People who have experienced the grace of God will want to show appreciation for it. And I believe that they also want to emulate it. And they want to be generous in giving of themselves and their time and their resources. There's a point to this message today, and you'll catch it, I hope, at the end. 
But I wrote here, the greater one grasps, the greater one's grasp of what grace really means, the more fervently she or he will desire to express and demonstrate thankfulness for it. How much do you understand about grace? How much has your head been wrapped around the grace that God has poured out on your life? Guys, the motivation for giving should never be guilt. It should never be pressure. It, it, it shouldn't even be a sense of being dutifully faithful. And, and I know over the years, preachers, I, I grew up in camps where preachers would pound this Malachi, you have robbed God with your tithes and offerings. And, and they beat you down and make you feel like, man, that bothers me. That bothers me big time. I don't like hearing that stuff because I don't think it's right. Now, in that context in the Old Testament, there was a reason for that. But under the New Covenant, the game has changed slightly, okay? So, <clears throat> let's move on. Turn to, to uh, chapter 9. We're going to look at this really quick. Starting in verse 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Did you catch that? Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not what someone told you to give, but what you've decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Who is enlarging the harvest of our righteousness as we sow the seeds? Whose department is that? God's department. My wife and I, you guys know the story. My wife and I, years ago, man, we were all in. We've been going to this large church, and, and it, was, it was a great church, but we just felt for us, there was more. And we decided to sell everything we had, whew, and we sold everything we had. We sold our home. And we went full-time ministry, and we, we ended up pastoring a mission house. It was one of the first mission houses in Grants Pass, way before Gospel Rescue Mission. In fact, Walt Fixo, I've, he was a dear friend of mine. We had some great times together. But he was still running his beauty house at the time. So we pastored that for two years. And in the process of that, when we first went in there, there was no food. It was like lentils. You guys have heard me share this. There was lentils, like maybe half a bag of lentils. And I'm telling you, we had 70 people there. You can only eat lentils so many days for so many ways, and you're done. There's not enough ketchup in the world or hot sauce that can change that, I'm telling you. Now, I'm not anti-lentil, but in that context, it was like, I've had enough. So I remember we went into this pantry that was empty, and we prayed, God, you called us to this. We have given everything that we can. We're yours completely. 
But Father, we also know that you are the giver of the increase. So Father, we've cast our seeds and we're trusting you for a harvest. And I tell you, the next hour I came down, I, we, we had a wood crew, I came down and I could smell hot barbecue spare ribs. I went, whoa, that got my interest perked. And I go in the kitchen and here's this big old stainless steel tub of loaded with hot barbecued spare ribs and there was another one too. And my wife just said, man, some caterer just showed up and he just said, hey, I had too much and I, you know, I, I know you guys could probably use it. Just let me know and I'll come get the buckets or the containers when you're done, da, da, da. That was the beginning of the miraculous in our lives that God showed us that no matter what we do, God will always provide for all of our needs. We saw, we saw moments in that pantry <clears throat> just shortly after that, all of a sudden I get a call from a government agency saying, we have too much food, we want to give it to you guys. And I, my first thought was, where's the meat hooks? If the government, there's hooks in here somewhere. No, no stipulations, nothing. Just come down with trucks, pick it up. We loaded that pantry so high and so thick, you could give away bricks of cheese and not just a slice of bread and a little piece of cheese. That's how generous we were able to become because God had poured his grace out on us and we were able to run with the wind, man, and God just blessed it. Financially, our heart was to always stay in the black and, and we, they were so far in the red when we got in there, it was terrible and I thought, what a crummy witness. God, this is your house, this is your ministry. Can you take us into the black? True story. If you don't believe me, you can ask my wife. But we would be $72 short from getting the books to balance. And I kid you not, this old Chevy Biscayne, three on the tree, column shift, smoking and bouncing, would come in the driveway. And this little old girl, little girl would come running in and, here you go. And she would hand either me or my wife an envelope. And guess what was in the envelope? exactly what we needed no more no less and if we didn't need it they didn't show up that is the gospel truth isn't that right honey see she's shaking her head see god honors when we cast those seeds and we trust him he pours out a grace on our lives that just takes care of that stuff man oh hey i'll get back to reading the word this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you have provided yourselves. Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with him and with everyone else. And in the prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You know, if you were to take all of the verses in the Bible and read through them that deal with finances and money, I think you would find that a vast number of them are about being generous or about generosity. Over and over and over and over again, God tells his people to be generous. There's a reason for that. As believers, I think generosity is not merely something we do. I believe it is a quality of character. It's something that we are. And as I look around this room, there are some incredibly generous people in this room. It's who you are. It's part of your character. 
there are people that I know I can call at three in the morning and I hope they answer the phone. No, they'll answer the phone because you know what? They're generous with their time and they're willing to serve and to help. You know, truly generous people, I have watched them throughout my life and they seem to have this innate awareness of themselves, of others around them, of the needs of others and, and it is this understanding that we're talking about that inspires them to be genuinely generous. Ernie Stone, oh, he was part of our body. He graduated into the kingdom. But he was one of the most generous human beings I'd seen in really an amazing way. He loved the tip, and it was always kind of fun. He would always, I don't care if you got there 30 minutes to the restaurant before he did, somehow he got the bill, the check, and he paid. And you're like, I'll check, please. It's already been paid. We're like, how in the world? Did you come in the back door? How did you do this, Ernie? How many have been blessed by Ernie and Glenna Stone? Yeah, unbelievably generous. And they would do it in sneaky, fun kind of ways. And the tip, the guy was over the top tipping. I've watched him tip huge to people. And you saw Ernie, he didn't live in the Taj Mahal. He just understood who the provider and the giver of his resources were. And he understood that he was simply a, a, a manager or a steward of the resources that God had entrusted to him. And because of that thinking and that knowing, God entrusted more to him. Amazing. There was not a stingy bone in his body. I could call Ernie any time of the day, and he always made a place and a space to talk. You know, God wants us to give and obey from love and not from obligation. And a lot of us, we've been pounded in our heads. It's an obligation to give. It's an obligation. God doesn't want it if that's your heart. God wants you to give from your heart. And, and what he's ultimately interested in, I believe, is the motive of our heart. What motivates our heart? Is it love? This is why the apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. He says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Next week, we're going to begin to kind of mix it up here. We're going to change. We're going to go back to one of the declarations before COVID where we would put it up on the board and we would give that declaration of thanking God for the provisions and resources that empowers us to co-labor with him to see his kingdom established here on earth. But what I want to do is I want to make it an event Instead of passing plates around and all that, we're just going to have some baskets up here, whatever that looks like, and we're just going to play some worship music, and whatever God lays on your heart, some of you give online, that's great, whatever, there's no condemnation in this, none, I, please hear my heart, we just want to make it an event where we're thanking God for the grace that he's placed upon our lives, and we would become known as generous, incredibly generous giving people, again, not only of our finances, but of our time and our resources as well. So what does it mean that God loves a cheerful giver? A little context here. First and second Corinthians, if you ever study those books, whew, Paul had it rough, man. They were pounding on that guy. They were treating him harsh. And, and, and in first Corinthians, we see, we see how messed up the church was. Paul writes this letter, and the first thing he has to do is he has he has to address and deal with some pe two people who are having this perverse affair, and, and, and the fellowship was tolerating it under this false sense of love. 
And then we see, we see also where Christians were suing one another and taking them to court. I mean, all this stuff is going on within the context of the church, of the fellowship of God. And, and we see um, there was these super apostles that were rising up and they're arguing over which spiritual mentor to follow instead of unifying under Christ and Christ alone. And they were even getting drunk at communion. And that's not going to happen here. I mean, I <laughs> promise you. That. In fact, I, I think the best way to take that is just to eat it because it's so hard to open those crazy things, especially with one hand. You're like, <laughs> my wife stands back 10 feet when I do this. It. It's, it's crazy. But in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, it gets a little better. And, and some things had improved. And in the latter part of his letter, he reminds them that they promised an offering to the people in need. He's just reminding them. And he's blown away by their heart for giving. Totally blown away. You see, God doesn't want it done, again, out of obligation. But he wants it done from a pure heart when we give of anything of ours. So this is not the first time God's people have been... Uh, heard or taught about this kind of teaching. Go clear back to Exodus chapter, or, yeah, Exodus 25, chapter 1. This is when God instructed Moses about the tabernacle. He said, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. Did you catch that? So even when establishing their laws, the Israelites were supposed to be giving from a willing heart not out of obligation. Now, centuries later, we see the prophet Isaiah starting his book with really some harsh words. And here's what he says. The multitude of your sacrifices, this is, he's repeating what the Lord told him to say. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Says the Lord. I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and of fat or fatted animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of the bulls and the lambs and the goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked you this of you trampling my, of my court? Excuse me. Who has asked this of you, this trampling of my court? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. These people were just doing it out of rote. It would just become a thing, a habit. And he said, stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moon, Sabbath, convocations, that's a large formal assembly of people. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me, and I'm weary of bearing them. Wow. Talk about a spanking. My goodness. God's telling them to stop the sacrifices, stop the worship ordinances, both regulations, these are things that God had instituted. He's saying, stop it. Your heart is way shifted from where it should be. You're way out here sideways. Their religious activity had become detestable to God. That's kind of scary. Then it says, your new moon feasts again and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. Man, that's some pretty harsh words. That's some strong verbiage that God would hate something. God told them they have become a burden to me. The Israelites were living incredibly sinful lives, and they were just simply jumping through the hoops, jumping through all the religious hoops, and this was breaking God's heart. All along, 
God wanted their hearts, right? Does God really need our money? He doesn't. He doesn't. So what does God do? He throws a lightning bolt. No. This is so amazing because this is not who God is. God does not throw lightning bolts. Even when God's really torqued at humanity, he still provides a way, doesn't he? That's his amazing grace. So instead of throwing a lightning bolt and smoking him, what he says is he says, Isaiah 1, 16 and 7, he says, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Then he says, learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Here we see Isaiah is defining justice as defending the oppressed and taking up the cause of the orphan and the widow. James goes on to say it even clearer. He says in verse, uh, James 1.27, he says, Religious that our God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You want to stay on the main and plain? Do these things. Do these things. Don't get lost in all these deep teachings that will keep you occupied for a long time. Roll up your sleeves Get out there and be generous with who you are. Amen? James explains that our pure and undefiled religion is to take care of the fatherless and the widow and to separate from the world's corruption. This means that our religion can be defiled if it becomes a rote action apart from being generous to those in need. Did you catch that? So James is specifically saying here that we are generous by being a family to those who need one. There are people all around us who need family. Your next door neighbor might need a family. It might be a widowed mom. It might be a widowed man. It might be an orphan child. I don't know who lives next door to you, but you should find out. And you can see what you can do to just bless them. Paul was consistent with all scripture. If you read the word a lot, you'll see that. But when he said each person should give, not, <clears throat> should not give grudgingly or out of compulsion, he's saying it because, and he's reiterating it several times throughout the word, God loves a cheerful giver. I've watched people over the years when it comes to giving, and it's like, ah, I have to give. Ah, I'm going to pry it out of my hand. I gave. Yeah. One time we were in this church and they got a bunch of brothers standing outside under this big overhang. Surprised it didn't fall on us, but they were complaining about, ah, boy, that pastor said, got to give, just give everywhere. I just, I can't, I keep giving. I have nothing left. That's probably why he had nothing left because his heart wasn't even in the game. And you know what? You could go in there and take the money back because God doesn't need it. It's interesting what happens outside of the church under the overhang, isn't it? Conversations. Okay, where am I at here? Yeah. God loves a cheerful giver. But what does that word cheerful really mean? You know, we have to go back to the Greek to understand that. First of all, we need to understand that the kingdom of God is not one of coercion. 
God's not strong-arming us into anything. God isn't an oppressive in his government. He's not. God doesn't, and there's this thinking that some people have grown up in church that God's got this hammer and he's ready to smack you on the head with it if you get anywhere out of line. That's not who God is. He is good and he's good all the time. He does have some expectations of us, but he's generous in how he deals with us. And he's, again, he's not oppressive. God is the one person, though, or we should say power that is powerful enough to force us against our will to do what is right. But does he do that? No, he doesn't. That wouldn't be love. That would be more like slaves. And God doesn't want slaves. The devil makes slaves and places them into bondage. That's not what God does. He wants freedom fighters. God wants children. He wants sons and daughters. He wants a royal priesthood. He wants co-laborers that will labor with him to see the kingdom of God expanded and move forward. That's what God wants. So he's not here to force you into anything here. So the word cheerful in the Greek is the word hilaros. Hilaros. And it means to be cheerful, merry, joyous, happy, uh, glad, without any kind of malice, without grudging. And it implies here in the scripture, giving with a gracious attitude. Man. Therefore, it could be said that we are to give because not only God says to give, but because we're willing and happy to give. Because we understand the grace that God has poured out on us and we're incredibly thankful for it. I've had people over the years might have been out under the overhang, I don't know, but (laughs) make a comment, you know, why would we be happy to give? Why should I be so happy to give of my time, my money, my resource? I like my stuff. I like my money. I like buying things for myself. I, I really like, well, maybe even buying a few things for my family. Guys, just for a moment, just guys, girls, you can turn your ears off for a moment. I've met too many brothers I've met too many brothers that are, that need to understand this. It's time to pour yourself out onto your family. And I'm not talking about just buying them things. Your kids and your wife want your time. Your most valuable commodity, they want that. They don't need your money. They don't want to run away with your wallet. Well, some, some might, but I'm just saying at the end of the day, they want you and they want you present. If you can do that with a generous, willing heart, man, you will see incredible fruit happen in your family. Just a sidebar note, it's a freebie. Some people say, you know, if I give, then I'm just gonna have less, right? Wrong. It's wrong. I'm telling you guys, that's not how it works in the kingdom. Paul said in Acts 20, 35, he said, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. So Paul includes this in in 2 Corinthians 9. He gives this incredible, I think, principle kingdom of truth. He says, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I I, I don't mean to sound redundant, but it's the truth. It's a powerful truth. After writing that God loves a cheerful giver, Paul goes on to continue that when we give cheerfully in verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you, 
always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. I'm telling you, when we give, we receive more than what we gave. There is a spiritual principle here that I don't know how it works. It's the economy of God. You cannot outgive God. But when we give from this willing heart, he gives back more than we could ever imagine. And, and I'm not talking about a new car. It could be that. But as my wife and I poured ourselves into the ministry that God has called us to, we have just watched God give the increase on the peripheral. And it empowers us to give more than away, give more away than we could ever imagine we could ever do. And we love being generous. So this is a principal kingdom that I think we need to get our heart around. You know, although I should obey, I don't have to give in some kind of simple obedience. I can give cheerfully because I know that God will reward and bless me accordingly. He will provide and take care of all my needs. The more I give, the more he blesses. I don't do it to get blessed. I do it because my heart is there and I'm thankful and grateful for all that God has done for me. You know, you might feel a loss when you give to whether it's the church, the poor, to someone on the street. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've watched my son whip out his wallet and hand somebody on the street a $100 bill. And I know he's not rich, but yet God gives him the increase because he does that. It's amazing to watch. But you know, he understands that it's not a loss, but it's a gain. And I believe the same goes for anyone who understands this truth. So why is understanding this truth so important to God? Why is it that when we give out of a cheerful, willing heart, God pours out this amazing grace on our lives? Is it about the money? I, I think God doesn't want mindless simpletons walking around. I think he's training us to rule and to reign with him in the future. I believe that we are meant to run the family business in heaven with the Father and the Son. God doesn't need our money, but he wants our hearts. He's using our generosity to teach us how the kingdom of God works so that we can rule and reign with him. 2 Timothy 2.12 tells us that. It says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Did you catch that? How many want to rule and reign with Jesus? Whew. So tithing is something that comes up in conversations like this. And I'm not here to give a teaching on tithing. Uh, Newton Hayes gave a beautiful analogy and a testimony about tithing and giving and where his heart is and all that. And, and God has richly blessed this brother. It's amazing what God has done through him and his ministry of giving and stuff. But, you know, tithing at the end of the day, it's not mentioned much in the New Testament because, here's my feeling, because God doesn't want us to do only what is required. Did you catch that? If I gave my 10%, I'm done. Oh, there's no more time. I, have, I gave my 10%. I'm, I'm good. I'm golden. You're missing the point. God wants us to learn that he can work through us when we yield all of ourselves to him. When tithing becomes, and this is why Jesus was kind of upset with the Pharisees about tithing, was they had, they had moved tithing to a place that was more important than showing mercy, showing love, showing justice, showing faithfulness. This was not pleasing to God. That's what was wrong with that. So to me, tithing is the floor, is the least acceptable gift to me. 
And I'm, I'm not here to get into a, ba- a debate about tithing because some people do. And I, myself, it's a principle my wife and always have always run on. But we tithe. But we also give way beyond that because we understand that God's grace is there and he empowers us to be able to do that. So grace giving is the ceiling. Giving out of a gracious heart that understands the grace that was poured on your life. Man, to me, it is It is this supernatural giving empowered by God. There is no limit to how much God can work through you, can give through you, how much provisions and resources God wants to channel through you. I I look at, um, well, I'll say it, the Hendersons. You guys, what God channels through you because of your faithfulness and the season. Robert and I went to high school together. And over the years, you should read his testimony. It's powerful. Maybe someday I'll have him up here share it. It's a powerful testimony, how God took him from here to this amazing place. And if anybody understands generosity and grace, it's these guys. Powerful. They underwrote uh, Dr. Francis Miles coming here. Very expensive. Not, Not his fee, but just the cost of getting him here in room and board. It costs money. But they understand who the giver of, the, of all the resources are. And God just keeps giving to them as they give to others. So after church, don't hit them up for money, okay? <laughs> so, just a quick moment of honesty. And then we'll wrap this up. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 8, 7 says, Therefore, as ye abound in everything in faith and utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in diligence, and in all your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. Whew. So, honesty. This is a truth that really takes time to manifest. That as we give from a willing heart, that God gives to us in ways we can never, we just can't even get our head around. How many of you experienced that? Okay, all right. You know, it's easy to say that, yeah, God, God, it's easy to say and believe that God will reward us for our giving. And, and it's easy to say, it's more blessed than it is to give, or it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. But most of the time, honestly, we have to experience it to believe it. So, why don't you try just giving of yourself provisions and resources, whatever that looks like for you, whatever your heart shows you to do. Talk to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will reveal to you what you need to do and give something of yourself away to help others in some way, shape, or form and see what that does from the inside out. When we're faithful in in sowing through generosity over time, we will begin to see this amazing abundance through reaping manifest in our life. And when we experience the blessing of sowing and reaping with giving, there is a joy that comes with that that's over the top. You ever seen the goodwill slogan, give to the goodwill, get that good feeling, give to the goodwill? There's a principle in that, that when God sent spinning the stars in the heavens, he put in that. There's something about giving generously that does something to the heart. Even the world caught that. But here's my prophetic moment. I believe that we're about to be pressed to the wall financially, in ways that we have yet to see. We talk about high prices right now. They're going to get higher. Things are going to get tighter. 
And there's a tendency when that happens to want to pull it all in and start going home and counting your cans of beans, making sure your ducks are all lined up, making sure I got, oh man, I got to take care of my family. I got to take care. I understand your family comes first. I get that. My wife and I years ago had a survival business called Joseph's Storehouse. And the idea and the premise was it wasn't, it wasn't to have to hoard. It was to have to be able to give. And we would hermetically seal beans and all kinds of stuff and cans and containers, and we would put scriptures and tracts inside every one of those. Back in the 80s, there was a, there was a book out called The Coming World Crisis. There was this thing, oil, OPEC, all this stuff was spinning. It was like, oh, I'm going to get out of control. But God supernaturally intervened. But I'm telling you, if you run home in this moment and start getting tight with everything, not a good place to be. I'm telling you, be generous. Be generous with your time. Be generous with your resources. Reach out to your neighbors. And I'm telling you, if you hand your neighbors a can of beans, I'm telling you, God will bless you for that. I don't know how it works. I don't care how it works. I don't want to know how it works other than God makes it work. God is the giver of the increase. And when we give graciously from our hearts, because we understand we're so grateful for what God did for us, he will take care of us. He will take care of every one of our needs. It's gonna get tight. That's a prophetic word. It's gonna get tight. It will get better, but it's gonna get tight for a moment. Do not freak out. Do not run home and slam the door shut and begin hiding and hoarding away. Be generous with who you are. God will see that. He'll pour out his amazing grace on you and empower you to help others. You guys, are you hearing that? Luke 38, 638 says, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let's be generous people. Let's be known as generous people with our time and our provisions and our resources. Let's be known as those people. Let's celebrate that generosity with others and people around us. And I guarantee you guys, as you do, God will pour out this amazing grace on your life. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. <clears throat> Greg, you want to come up for a moment? Fear is a interesting little critter. When we feel totally at peace, we're like, ah, oh, yeah, everything's great, fine. Yeah, hey, yeah, take, take, yeah, you can use that, no worries. But when fear begins to grip, grip our heart, it totally shuts us down. And I feel that there are some in this room who have been struggling with fear. And I'm not talking about just giving, but I'm just saying fear in itself. Some things on the horizon you're seeing, and it's causing fear to well up in your heart. Some of you have gotten news or notice, and it's causing fear, again, to well up in your heart. Well, I'm telling you, this is a place of freedom. So let's just take a moment, and let's just listen to the Holy Spirit. And if that's you, if you're struggling with fear in this moment, 
You're not sure what the outcome's going to look like. You're just, ah, that's all I see in front of me is this. Would you come forward? We want to pray for you and ask God to set you free from the fear that's holding you hostage. Amen? So come, Holy Spirit.
Father, we just thank you for your empowering presence. We thank you for your amazing grace, God, that you have poured out on us, God. Oh, my. <clears throat> and, Father, may we respond in kind like. Uh, Father, teach us how to be generous people. Teach us how to keep our hands open and not close our hands. Wow. Father, we just thank you for this amazing day. I just pray, God, that you would answer the cry of all the hearts that are here, up front, and in the congregation, God. And I pray, God, that we'll leave here a little more changed into your image. Yes. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. And we all said amen. 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 If you could help pick up a few chairs, that would be awesome. <laughs>